Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of sharing in what we at Numa Church um, call our Revival Month. And Revival Month is where we pray and we fast and we gather together even extra for prayer meetings. And um, it leads up to our Revival Conference. And uh, on this one week in the weeks leading up, God began to really move in my heart and talk to me about how I had fallen from my first love. And I was kind of debating with God as I tend to do and was saying, but God, I, you know, I don't have any big sin. And he, he, he pressed his finger on my heart and he said, but Stacey, when you fall from your first love, that is the big sin to me because everything else in your life flows from that place. And so really the message that I want to share tonight is a follow on from that message about first love. Um, and I, I had the privilege of preaching it here and then preaching it in a, another church in another city. And let me tell you, God is doing this across his church right now. He's actually bringing us back to our first love. And I wonder if just for a moment, if we could forget everybody around us, we could forget where we are. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to open your hands for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you take us back? to the moment when we first knew that you loved us. That first time we knew that we knew that we knew that you were real. And we said, I wanna serve you, Jesus. Take us back to that moment. Let us feel what we felt. Thank you, you're calling your church back to her first love. I thank you that you want your church back after we've been so unfaithful so many times. Thank you that you're calling us back into intimacy with you. I pray that in the next few moments that we would burn with our first love for Jesus. That once again, we would not be able to stop talking about Jesus. We wouldn't be able to stop worshipping. We wouldn't be able to get enough of our Bibles that we would hang on this word that we're opening up right now because you are our first love. You are our only one. You are the prize. You are the treasure. You are the reward. Beside you, there is nothing else. So let your flame burn bright within us for this next few moments. The thing is that God's been talking to me about is once we return to our first love, it's then and only then we we can actually begin to live day by day in the posture of revival. And I'm speaking prophetically right now that God is actively seeking at this moment in history a certain kind of believer to co-labor with as we hurdle towards the end times. He's not looking primarily for a worker. He's not looking primarily for a labourer. He's looking for someone who will take the posture of revival. And the phrase he gave me was, Stacey, I'm looking for laid down lovers. That he wants to usher in his end time move. This end time revival that maybe just maybe we're a part of right now. He wants to work with laid down 
lovers. And as I ran my mind through Scripture for which passage do you want me to share from tonight? Apart from Jesus, there's one woman who stood out to me. She only appears three times in the Gospels. And in all three situations, she's in one posture. She's laying at Jesus' feet. And so we're going to look at her together in our Bibles. I want you to open with me to John chapter 12. We love our Bibles here at Numa. John chapter 12, we're going to read eight verses together. I just love this passage that we're about to read while you're finding it. It's recorded permanently for all time by the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I love his language because he's all about the love. And I'm a bit obsessed with reading his writings at the moment, even Revelation that I've been stuck in. That was from the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was the disciple whom Jesus loved before he was ever John the Revelator. And often we want to be Stacy the Revelator before we're willing to be Stacy the disciple whom Jesus loved, the laid down lover. And so I want us to unpack that a little bit tonight. John 12, 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. But Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. It's important for us to recognise that both in this passage and in this revival season that we find ourselves in, that when true worship takes place, heart attitudes are always exposed and revealed. And this often starts with us. And in this season we're in, I hope I'm not the only one that God's fully refining. He's like pulling out things I didn't even know were there. Like, hey, we need to deal with that. There was a day last week where, um, I'm going to be pretty honest tonight, that's kind of how I roll. And uh, I was actually preparing to worship lead one of our revival nights. And God was talking to me about all these things in my life that needed to go. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, can I even go and worship lead tonight? Now, before you panic and start writing letters to the church, it's like not huge things. It's like attitudes and conversations I'd had or things I was thinking about actually about myself, not anyone else. But he was saying, we can't think that way anymore, Stacey. And so my prayer that day wasn't, God, let your presence fall. I knew there was a bunch of prophets going to be in the room that night. So I was like, God, please close the prophet's eyes. Don't let them see what I've been thinking all day. Just give me a bit of space and room to work through this. I'm sure no one else is praying those prayers about the prophets around here. 
You know, I recently saw somebody describe the refining work of God this way. If I took a full bottle of water and I said, hey, Kurt, do you want this water? It's 99% pure and 1% sewage. Want a drink? No. No one's going to say no, right? No one's going to say yes, right? God is dealing with the 1% in our life because we're meant to be the living water that other people can come and drink. And what often happens in revival and when we experience these hours and hours of true worship is it's the one percenters that get dealt with so that we can actually nourish the rest of the world. He's removing impurities. And here in our passage, we actually have one of the most beautiful worship moments in Scripture. What's interesting is she didn't even have Joel. I know, right? There was no band. There was no putting Numa Worship Stillness album on. None of that. There was just one laid down lover. One woman who anointed Jesus' feet with a year's salary. How do we know it was a year's salary? Verse 5 says that it was worth 300 denarii. The average wage in that day was one denarii a day. You take away the Sabbaths and you roughly have about a year's salary. Verse three says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from nard number five and anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of worship, the fragrance of the perfume. You know what I find so beautiful about this? She took her hair. In Jewish culture, their hair was known as their glory. She took her glory. She poured out her expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And with her glory, she wiped the dirt of his feet. Can we not miss the prophetic reversal here? Just a few days later, Jesus is going to take the cross to take away our dirtiness and our sin. Then when He ascends to the Father, He's going to send the anointing, the Holy Spirit, to rest on you and I, and we will become the fragrance of Christ to the world. So here we have this woman who took her glory and her perfume, what would soon belong to Jesus, and wiped our Saviour. I mean... Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. How much more beautiful are the feet of the actual good news? And here she is wiping with her glory the dirt of the most beautiful feet of the one who was the good news. And then this prophetic reversal, Jesus in all glory and all splendour, the word says, because he was obedient to the point of death, he was exalted and given the name that's above every other name with all glory and all dominion and all power, Ephesians 2 says, belonging to Christ Jesus, the most glorious one who would pour out the Holy Spirit our anointing and take away our dirt and our iniquity once and for all. Her act was prophetic. What's interesting is the aroma of her worship filled the room in such a way, it didn't only reveal what was going on in her heart, it actually revealed what was going on in everybody's heart. You see, when there is a laid down lover in the room, giving God extravagant worship, 
Heart motives are exposed. When true worship takes place, a response is demanded. And we need to be very aware in this season that there is a big, like I mean a big B-I-G difference between reaction and response. We talk a lot about the difference between reaction and response when it comes to our emotional health. But let's apply this to our worship. Response is what takes place when we get a revelation of God's face. True worship from mankind's perspective in its simplest form is a revelation of God, His goodness, His creation, His glory, and a response from mankind. And so our revival posture, if we're to enter spirit and truth worship, has to be revelation-based before we respond. Reaction is what takes place when the flesh is satisfied, when the flesh is satiated, when the flesh is triggered. Reaction is when earthly carnal desires and things are triggered within us or satisfied within us and then it masquerades in us through actions as spirit and truth worship. What do I mean? Well, if the lights are just right, if I like the song, if the temperature in the room's okay, if I like the worship leader that's on, if I've had a good day, if I'm in a revival meeting at Numa Church, then I can react. It's not worship. Because worship by biblical definition cannot be worship if it's not revelation based. That means we should be mature enough to stand in a room where we hate the song, the lights are blinking in our eyes, it's as hot as Hades, holla. (laughs) We've had a terrible day or maybe even alone at home without everyone else's face faith and we can still behold his face and respond reaction is grounded in flesh response is grounded in revelation and mary in our passage she was responding jesus had just stood at her brother's tomb and said lazarus come forth he had just resurrected her brother And here she is responding with extravagant worship. She had a fresh revelation. Therefore, she had fresh worship. I'm going to give you a key to your worship life right now. If you're struggling with how long we're worshiping right now, we're building up our muscles, right? Don't try harder. Look longer. When we get a fresh revelation of his face, do you, want to, do you want to know what our natural response will be? Go low. The Israelite priests fell on their faces. They couldn't even minister when his glory filled the temple. Isaiah, he went low. He was like, woe is me of unclean lips and worshipped the Lord. Daniel fell on his face when God revealed himself to him in a vision. Joshua fell on his face. John fell down like he was dead when he saw, when he got a revelation of risen Christ. You see, a fresh revelation will produce the posture of revival. 
We will be laid down lovers if we can just keep looking at Jesus. Don't look at me. Don't look at the worship leader. Don't look at the lights. Don't look at the preacher. Don't look at the person beside you. Just look at Jesus. We had just a couple of Sundays ago what I'm affectionately calling Super Bowl Sunday. It was when our service went for 12 hours, kind of like the Super Bowl halftime. Honestly, it felt like 12 minutes. We lost all sense of reality. I didn't eat all day and I wasn't even hungry. I didn't get up off the floor at one moment for three hours because of this revelation I was having of Jesus. I'm gonna tell you, I got up. I looked like Rocky Balboa. Not joking, my eyes had puffed up. I'd lost all my makeup. Add to that, I cried my lashes like down my face. It was glamorous, it was gorgeous. Add to that, I had a throat infection in the lead up to our conference. I was on antibiotics. I had an allergic reaction. So then I had this red rash on my face as well. I mean, it was gorgeous, right? But here's the thing, when you get a revelation of his face, you don't care about saving your face. I prayed this prayer in the lead up. <laughs> I don't care what it looks like, Lord. And he was like, let's see about that. You see, when true worship takes place, sacrifice must be made. The design of this vessel that Mary broke, historians tell us, had this really long, thin neck. And you had to break it open for the contents to be poured out. In other words, she couldn't preserve any. She had a choice. I have to give it all or I give nothing. And often it's us and our wills that have to be broken for our worship to be authentic. This past few weeks, there's been moments that have nearly broken me. I don't know if I can keep this pace up. I don't know if I can make four kids and a job and, and all the dog and all the things that we're all making happen for revival. And the Lord said, Stacey, you've prayed for this and you're faltering after two weeks. I said, like, God, well, I need a word from you. And he said, John 15. So I opened up John 15 and then he spoke to me so clearly. He said, you are not responsible to sustain this thing. You didn't author it. You won't sustain it and you won't finish it. He said, I will sustain if you remain. If I remain, if I stay in his presence, he'll tell me where to go, how to make it all work. The only onus on me is not sustaining any move of God, it's remaining in Christ. Revival is not convenient, don't know if you've noticed. Here's the thing, hunger leaks and fire dies down. Unless we make a personal decision, and it's a decision before it's a feeling, to maintain the fire and the hunger daily. To take the posture of revival and go low. You know, the lukewarm church simply just won't see revival. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. Yeah. Psalm 51:17. the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
Let's talk for a little longer about Mary's sacrifice here, what she was willing to break open for Jesus. I was reading one biblical commentator who explained that this perfume was probably her dowry. It was probably what was going to enable her to get married in the future. What she had to offer to her potential groom in the future. In other words, the perfume that Mary poured out on Jesus in worship was expensive in more ways than just pure economics. She was betrothing herself to Jesus. She was saying, you are my husband. You are my lover. If I remain in you, you will take care of me. You will protect me. You will sustain me. You will cover me. She was attaching herself to the bridegroom. Notice that Conflict or controversy happens in the room as a result of her worship. Why? Because the flesh will always despise demonstrative acts of worship. The flesh will always resist a laid down lover. Verse 4, Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples who was about to betray him, says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? We know the rest of the verse says it's not that he actually cared about the poor. He was actually a thief. Notice it was when she adored him to the point that the fragrance of her worship filled the room that Judas rises up. Ain't nobody gonna try and steal half-hearted worship. It's when we pay a price, when we keep rocking up night after night after night and taking a low posture of a laid down lover in everything, remaining in Christ, that the enemy is gonna try steal, kill and destroy your worship. He hates what is happening right now in the church. He despises it. It infuriates him that one of the markers of it is lengthened worship. (laughs) And I love it. He's been after our worship since the beginning of time. I don't have time to unpack that. But where John 10.10 says, steal, kill and destroy, that second word kill in the original language is the same Old Testament word as to sacrifice. In other words, the way he kills your worship is to make you believe this is too hard. So I'm just going to give it up. In the process, he's stolen your worship. What's really interesting is that Judas was trying to steal Mary's worship here. He represents Satan here. Be very careful what you say about laid down lovers because you may just be Satan's mouthpiece. Verse six, he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Original language, money bag is actually tongue bag. Weird, right? Not when you know why. A tongue bag was worn or carried by musicians and within the tongue bag was the reeds of their reed pipes that were designed by King David as instruments of praise and worship to God. In other words, Judas had thrown away his instruments of worship. He had thrown away his praise and was using what was meant to contain and empower his worship to exercise control. Thieving money, a religious spirit 
came over him. His name was Judas, comes from the word Judah, born out of the tribe of Judah. It literally means praise. And he lost his first love. And then he could not maintain the posture of revival. Here he was walking right alongside Jesus and he'd lost his adoration. He'd come out of the posture of revival and stepped into religious control. And there Judas is, he's over in the corner somewhere, cutting a deal with the Pharisees to give Jesus up for 30 denarii. Don't lose the significance of that here. That's a tithe of what she poured out in worship to Jesus. One-tenth he put value on Jesus. If anyone, it's Judas who should have been on the floor with her according to his original DNA. Her worship should have awakened his worship, but it offended him because he'd be grown, he had grown familiar and cold. You know, when God moves, we cannot control it. John 4 describes him as wind. You can see it's calm, you see it's going, but you don't know where it is, you can't contain it, you cannot box the Holy Spirit. He's not to be feared, but enjoyed. But there was only one in the room adoring. Even Lazarus, he'd just been raised from the dead and my guy's sitting up beside Jesus eating. Mary was the only one in the posture of a laid down lover pouring out her worship. You know, I think of David and Michael. Michael, Michael, however you like to say it in 2 Samuel 6. She, like Judas, represented the flesh. David danced with all of his might and she called him undignified. The word says she never produced natural fruit. From the passage we can see she never produced spiritual fruit. Bitterness of heart will lead to spiritual barrenness. And spiritual barrenness is always born out of criticism. Can we not criticize or judge the laid down lovers in this season? I've seen some weird stuff lately. I've seen people who can't move. I've seen people who've had to be taken home in wheelchairs. I don't understand it, but the greatest, the quickest way to stop this move of God is to mock it. I don't understand it, but I'm not gonna make fun of it and I'm not gonna laugh at the person and I'm not gonna the next time say, oh, how's your wheelchair? No, God's moving beautifully. Can we live in wonder? Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This means don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow. I, I mean, let that sink in. We can make the Holy Spirit sad. He's in the room right now. And in a few moments, we're going to have opportunity to choose our posture. Here's the thing, laid down lovers move the heart of God. In the previous chapter, chapter 11, you can flick there with me. I want us to look at two verses. It's remarkable. So Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and Martha hears that Jesus is coming. So she goes out to meet him alone. She's all business Martha. So she's like heads out onto the road. If you read the passage carefully, you can read this in the subtext, that she goes out to meet Jesus before he's even come into the town. And what she says to him in verse 21 is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have died. 
would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Take note of that little phrase. And Jesus speaks back to her very functionally. He loves her, but he, has the, he reflects back to her the kind of relationship she's brought to him. Jesus will reflect back to you the kind of relationship you bring to him, the kind of posture you bring to him. Because now let's look at Mary. In verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, look at this phrase, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same phrase as her sister, but a different posture. And what does Jesus do? 33, when he saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and Jesus wept. In other words, this laid down lover moved his heart. He paused to reflect back to Mary, her heart towards him. Do you know what this tells me? That I can stand in the presence of Jesus and I can sing things like, all the angels cry, holy are you, Lord. And he'll respond to me because he loves me and I can have that kind of relationship with him. But on the other hand, I could choose the posture of going low. Holy angels cry, holy are you, Lord. All the earth replies, holy are you. And you know what? He'll get down with me. And he'll feel what I feel. He'll grieve over what grieves me with him. We get to choose the kind of relationship we'll have with Jesus. Hear me? This is a day where he doesn't need you to work for him. It's not the top of his priority list. Revelation 2, return to the works you did at first. The problem's not the works. The problem is the posture behind the works. Are we just ticking it off a list? Or are we a laid down lover who has to get up and do something for Jesus because we're busting with love for him? This is a season where he wants to co-labor with friends. He wants to work with friends. This is like the crescendo of all time we're coming towards. And he's so relational. When the biggest moments of my life happen, I love you all, but I want my family and my friends there. We're coming to the crescendo and Jesus wants to work with friends. It's really important we understand that laid down lovers don't do nothing. They just do nothing without first receiving his heart. They don't serve for intimacy, they serve from it. Soaking in his love will naturally propel us forward into supernatural Christian service. I love the story of Heidi Baker. She uh, went to be a missionary in Mozambique with her husband. She had a PhD in systematic theology. She's like, I've got what I need. I've got Jesus and my PhD. In the first few years, her account, it was tough to plant two churches. Really tough for them. Then she heard about this thing going on in a, a city called Toronto. 1996, her and her husband go and visit there. She gets powerfully touched by God. She can't walk for seven days, is wheeled around in a wheelchair. 
She encounters the love of God. Do you know, since that encounter with the love of God, she's planted nearly 7,000 churches. I want to talk to you about the structure of her day. Like, she, does she get up at a certain time and read the word for this amount of time and she does emails from this time? Surprisingly, half of her day laid down. Just worshipping him, communing with him. There's a very famous article written a few years ago where a well-known evangelist was like, well, Heidi could do more if she'd get up off her face. You know what Heidi said? I can do nothing without first being on my face. Lay down love as love to co-labor with Jesus. Not as servants, but as friends. They hear his voice the whole time they're moving. I can hear his voice now. We can hear his voice in our workplace. We can hear his voice in the school pickup. We can hear his voice in Woolworths. We can hear his voice in the cafe when we live like a friend. We don't have to compartmentalize working for Jesus when I'm at church. It's my whole life laid down for Jesus. Joel, if you could come and join me and make this last few moments pretty. Jesus is in this room tonight. And so I want to ask you a question. It's a confronting question. It's a question that Jesus has been asking me. Stacey, are you Judas or are you Mary in this move of God? I get to choose my posture. I get to choose my position. And for the next few moments, this isn't about me. It's not about the person beside you. This is between you and Jesus. God will sustain this move. He's the author, He's the sustainer, He's the perfecter. We're the ones who get to choose to remain, to come back to our first love. Once we've made that choice, revival has a posture. It's the posture of a laid down lover. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.